coming to you from our new home at DynastyLeagueFootball.com and a DLF family of podcasts. We are the Superflex Super Show. We talk QB values, Superflex strategies, evaluate and debate Superflex trades, plus our own twist on Superflex team management with exercises like Tinderflex, Super 6, and You Are Nuts. So when you're done with this awesome DLF podcast, find us on Twitter at Superflex Show and join us in the discussion of the fastest growing format in all of fantasy football, Superflex, on the Superflex Super Show. Do you have the time to listen to me grind? Take down the film watchers and learn some at once. I am one of those skeptical of status quo. Lazy and to the bone, no doubt about it. Sometimes I grind my Excel sheets. Sometimes pour cold water on heat. When the mass not adding up, you said I'm checking out. I'm Wide receivers have lower stats in college before they hit in the NFL in the modern era. It doesn't really matter when you want to divide it between. I've used a rough line of 2010 because that's about half my sample and also the significant changes in the NFL game since then anyway. So it works. Um, it doesn't really matter what stat you look at. Uh, those who hit in the NFL average higher stats before 2010 than after 2010. And in fact, this is true of just players drafted as well. So it seems to be a market change in what's happening in college. I don't really want to speculate too hard uh, as to why, because I don't care about college. And I'm not a Debbie player, and I don't know much about football. So not, not really much point, but I imagine it has a lot to do with how they're playing the game. In fact... Before 2010, the average points per game of a wide receiver before they went on to the NFL to have at least one top 12 season was around 17.7. After 2010, the average is around 17.6, so not that much of a market change, although I would say uh, since 2016, the average has been 15.87. Again, depends where you want to draw the line, um, and we're just using that neat dividing line down the middle. Um but there are other stats that can show us this change much more rapidly. Um, since 2010, the average player that has hit in the NFL for a top 12 season has had a 50% dominator rating, college dominator rating, the traditional stat pumped out by player profiler and everyone else. Before 2010, the average dominator rating of players who went on to have top 12 season was 60%. That's 10% change between the pre- and the post-2010 era. That's a lot more drastic than the 17.7 versus 17.6, right? That's true for all percentage or dominator-level stats that you want to look at. There's a market drop in the past to the present, no matter where you want to draw the line at. And it's a consistent trend where there are peaks and troughs here and there from draft class to draft class. The trend is consistent. It is real. It's not just a matter of 2004 has a peak stat wide receiver for hits. For example, 
The average dominator, college dominator rating for wide receivers that hit in the 2004 class was 76.6. And 2005, it was 78.3. And then in 2007, it's 61.5. And then 59%. And then 49%. And then back up to 73%. But the overall trend is significantly down. I'm not listing these stats to say, and here's a dominator rating we have to hunt. That would, for me, be the way we inaccurately use stats to try to identify what are good and bad players. What's interesting to me is, one, that players used to average higher stats from college, um, and now they average lower stats. Just that overall trend. Don't have to put a specific number on it. It's not like, therefore, players in 2022 will average lower stats. No, because it's relative to the era and relative to the class. It's not that we're looking for higher stats. So it's simply stats are lower. Uh, and two... Those that have the biggest difference consistently and persistently, aha, my new phrase, um, in both samples that are just relative to the new stats. So what am I saying here? First, let me tell you what they're doing more of. In the post-2010 era, or again, wherever you want to draw the line, wide receivers are actually averaging more yards in college before they hit in the NFL, those that actually hit compared to those who were drafted as well. this That's one of the interesting things. Those who hit have higher stats than those who don't hit, which is a fundamental premise of you know why we go looking for production stats to find the ones who are more and less likely to hit. The ones who do, who do well in the NFL, not on average, but the vast majority, like I can find four outliers to this particular trend ever, and some of them later went on to struggle and bust of the not four there's like eight if you go all the way back to 2000 i wrote an article on what's called the outliers and if i write that again i would call it the actual outliers because everyone says anyone they don't like as a comparison to a player they don't like is an outlier and that's simply not what that word means but moving on and so they're averaging more overall yardage more overall production if you want despite averaging fewer points per game and fewer dominate or lower dominator ratings we're also averaging however higher receptions per game so if you want the closer we get to the modern era in the nfl players are becoming more volume based and actually producing more yards but they're doing it in a way that is closer to the rest of their teammates i guess will be a way of describing it they're differentiating themselves from their teammates in a markedly lower uh, in a distinctly different way they're not the alpha let's borrow a phrase that is also untrue um, more they're the 1A the 1B in fact put it this way wide receivers drafted in 2022 who go on to do well in the NFL for fantasy purposes so a very particular subset of a very particular subset despite everyone in the overall set being phenomenally talented um, are more likely to be the wide receiver too on a points per game basis than they were pre-2010. And again, that's something that consistently and persistently becomes more um, true the further along the timeline you become. The further back in history you go, the more likely the wide receiver who's going to do well in the NFL was to be the highest scoring wide receiver on the team. In fact, that describes everything I'm saying fairly well. And increasingly, as we get towards 2022, the more likely they are to be... uh, to pluck an example at random, Justin Jefferson, the wide receiver two on a points-per-game basis on his own team, and the wide receiver one in the NFL, or significantly wide receiver three in Dynasty, if you argue over where he ranks at all, but being wide receiver two on a single college team versus one of the best top three, top five NFL scoring players at the position is striking, I think. 
So they're getting larger roles or more receptions, um, but are distancing themselves from the team or the other players on the team, perhaps, uh, slightly less. They're less dominant, um, and they're, but they're getting more volume. In the sense, you can see that the volume of the college game entirely, I would wager, is going up, um, and the gap between the one and the two and the three and the four is shrinking. Now, in some ways, this means that it's harder to spot, in general, wide receivers that distance themselves or separate or show a distinctly tr production trend uh, the further into the this trend, this whatever it is, uh, goes, because players are distinguishing themselves less from other players. But not really, because we're not looking for players over or under a certain threshold. We're looking in their situation, who is the most dominant, how well does that compare to other players within a relative era. Um, that went on to do well. Now, I'd also like to point out at this point, because I don't think I've pointed it out quite as clearly as this on the crossroads before, yards per team pass attempt is not an alternate, alternative stat to market share. It's not like, let's look at the market share, then let's look at yards per team pass attempt. I mean, I do, but essentially they're the, the, the same thing. They're trying to accomplish the same thing. If we're getting real nerdy on it, we might look at the multicollinearity, a word that I still struggle to pronounce. In other words, the double-counting nature of looking at market share and then looking at yards per team pass attempt. Essentially, it's a different version of the exact same measurement. So trying to incorporate both into a model, for example, I tend to find to be relatively unhelpful and actually decrease the level of utility it might have. I think it's important context in both senses, and yards per team pass attempt largely does better at it than market share, which is why I primarily lean on yards per team pass attempt now. I've moved away from market share. I still look at dominator rating, and I still look at breakout age, largely using them as indicative stats or e e easy to make points on a podcast or in an article just to refer to something more broad that's harder to say in a simple manner and these are handy indicators or general understood concepts that people understand what you're hinting at though they might not understand that that stat in and of itself doesn't really represent what you're trying to talk about where was i oh yeah so yards per team pass attempt isn't like an and stat it's an instead of stat essentially and um, it's essentially team volume adjusted role I've said it a bunch of different ways. I don't think I'm going to suddenly come up with a better way of saying it. It's a market share relative to their team's production expressed in a way that is yards <laughs> instead of a percentage. So it feels more accurate and you can model against other stats that are like that in the NFL or better, such as points per game, which isn't a percentage stat, or even yards per route run or yards per team snap or whatever you choose to go look at. So... Essentially, I ask what are the best stats all the time about a variety of different subjects. And ultimately, for wide receiver or college evaluation, I, I mean, you look at everything is is ideal, get an understanding of everything and how much it can tell you and what it can tell you. But really, I just got one. And I like to look at it in different ways um, to give me the best chance of understanding who is distinguishing themselves in a similar way to past players who have gone on to do well in the NFL, remembering that the vast majority, like 98% majority who have done it, have distinguished themselves in this way, although it always looks slightly different, which is part of the difficulty. So, 
How can I justify that? Well, back to these averages post and pre-2010, two of the things that stand out to me is that age-adjusted stats show the biggest difference between the drafted in the first three rounds group and the hit in the first three round group. For example, the average yards per team pass attempt over or below the average line, just their average, um, is 2.3% different, or 2.3 yards different from those that are drafted compared to those that would actually hit from the first three rounds in the NFL. I put that in a percentage calculation once just to try and express it a different way, but yeah, that's not. That's the biggest difference on a point-by-point basis of any of these stats. Also, I notice that consistently, no matter what stat you look at, the early stats always show one of the most marked difference between the drafted to the hit group and the most consistently useful from draft class to draft class. So what they do earlier in their college career is markedly different from those that are just drafted to those who actually hit, and also uh, has the best signal and the best R-squared to those that do well, which is different than if you just test year by year, age 18, age 19, age 20, two points per game in the NFL. Partly because so few players play until you get to... uh, at the age of 21 and 22 that you suffer a sample problem and those distinguish themselves well at 23 have to do it such an exponentially higher rate that uh, the R-squared testing just works out well for you. So what do I take, why why I'm even discussing this on the podcast I said was going to be mostly about Drake London because one, it's a crossroads. I like to talk process here much more than the end result because actually I think that's the thing that's useful and I think that's useful for me and useful for anyone listening but also I like to think the crossroads audience is a little more into that than give me the name to draft. Uh, You're looking to develop your own ideas on who to draft. That's me. Um, and that's what we've always been doing. So partly that, and partly as a lead-in to where we're going, because there are some takeaways here that were true when I started looking at wide receivers, and I wanted to check that they were still true despite the change in overall stat averages, and they are. How well a player distinguishes themselves in a similar manner to players that have gone on to do well in the NFL since early in their career, and using the age adjustment, and also... Uh, sorry, and also players who do it well relative to the ages at which they were playing, more than their conference level, more than their experience level, if you're looking at an earlier late breakout age or a freshman and a sophomore yards per team pass attempt versus age 18 and 19, take the age every time. There is some interesting testing to be done on age relative because age relative, I use like a an eight-year sample as I'm testing that. But because we're using the average of the last eight years and we're looking at it in this historical context, that's going to be slightly different. It might be why it's so drastic, but it is consistently useful. Instead, I want to look for what I can honestly say has good signs that this matters and this is what fellow players went on to do well in the NFL did well and how well it compares. And also understand it's not exponential. It's not like you're further over the threshold stat, therefore you're better. It's you're looking for commonality of production, not an exact number or an exact threshold. And that's why I broke it down back to the pre and post top 10. It's not that you hit a certain threshold, a certain number. It's that you distinguish yourself in a similar way. You excelled beyond what most players do relative to your age, because I find that consistently to be one of the best indicators of context for your actual production probably because of physical development as i first read um, john moore speculating that was the reason behind it and why breakout age became a thing uh, that sean siegel invented um or theorize or whatever 
whatever word fits that. Um, so yeah, it's not like I think Traylon Burks has the better is better at football. It's I think Traylon Burks in this particular stat, which adjusts what he did for the volume of his team, has a similar pattern and trend to what the majority of players who do well in the NFL. And one of the consequences is that is you you're you're co-opting the majority of the players who are going to do well into your bucket, but accepting there's more variance or more misses in that bucket, essentially. I'm now all but 4% of NFL hits are entering my bucket, whereas if you go for the combine, you basically write off about 50% of the players who hit just by using any combine threshold because they're useless junk, essentially. Good context, terrible th- threshold stats are just off. So you're co-opting more in, but one thing is there's more players in there, which makes it awkward. And two, you know there's more noise because it's not like this. you have to hit a certain number or being further above the line is better. And so the second part of my process, still not player evaluating, is just looking at reasonable context for how they produce their stats. Okay, well, Calvin Ridley has a really late uh, success here, but he only started playing at age 20. Calvin Ridley rule. It doesn't matter as long as you're producing well relatively to the age at which you're playing but it does matter in terms of if you played earlier in your career and struggled and have only developed fairly late like you don't come into being successively better than your teammates at age 20 so just playing above the age curve at age 20 after playing below at age 19 18 and 17 i needed three years there i should have gone for 21 that's not the same thing that's what i call a senior breakout that's not the same thing that's not the trend that i see in the production cold reading it not evaluating who's better or worse but what the end result was the majority who are above the age line but only after a certain age not a breakout age very different thing is different than calvin ridley who excelled the first year he stepped on the field but he first stepped on the field at age 20 all right so it's that it's building in narratives and the second part also involves, you know, all the conversations I have with Jake, what I mostly take away from all of where I take a lot of value from my conversations with Jake on this podcast, but if anything, I wish I'd listen more. I tend to think I'm a fairly good listener, but so does everyone, and not everyone can be, because there's there's an awful lot of not hearing people going on, so I must be one of them too. But not taking someone else's idea or not ranking it myself, because that's why I started building my own database, because I just got tired of having to just accept what someone else says. I want some way of making my own decision despite not having genius understanding of what is a good player and what the NFL is. There must be some way of making a reasonable decision without having some preternatural ability uh, to know who's going to be good in the future. Just what has happened and who compares well to it. That's the thing. Um, but I still wish that despite not doing that, I'd listened better and incorporated more of it and that's also part of the second part of my process and we're in that now and that is relative to this episode because drake london is low in my ranks not because his stats are worse or compare worse but because i am accepting that other people know a lot that doesn't necessarily go into the stat that i'm looking at essentially as between pass attempt at this point and the context of that and i should listen more because they know what they're doing too. They have their own process, especially if you trust that process. One that came up recently on my timeline on Twitter, and I can't wait for him to drop the article, 
despite the fact it's not a DLF article, is Scott Barrett. Who, yeah, you know who Scott Barrett is. Like Everything he posts is fairly interesting, and if he's posting it, it matters. I don't know what he's going to use it for in his article. You should definitely read his article. But who is posting about contested catch rates, or essentially the percentage of receptions on contested catches, so slightly different. And an interesting part about that stat is a player who is worse in contested catches is actually going to test better in that stat because you're not getting the majority of receptions in contested catches because you're failing to catch the ball. But anyway, essentially uh, one of the, his replies uh, to that thread with like the top 30 in that stat were all busts in the NFL. And the list he posted was pretty much every player that I really thought might be good in the late first round at wide receiver who eventually went bad, who didn't break out in the NFL, and Nikhil Harry. It was Nikhil Harry, Denzel Mims, J.J. Osega-Whiteside. So it was like a, a list of things people, should be trolled for fairly regularly. And it's not just those late first-round picks like Whiteside and Mims. It was, it was also Harry, the guy I still can't understand. And so it's really interesting to me because I pay more attention to my misses and my hits. I spend a lot of time looking over the Brian Edwards of the world, and no one remembers him but me, maybe Jesse Reeves. Kelvin uh, uh, Harmon, who was later drafted, so he kind of got saved. He went in like a sixth round. But we really liked him in the same way I like Brian Edwards. And... Um, coming in and I still thought there was hope because his stats were so good in college and I've progressed from market share to yards per team pass attempt and that has actually caught a few of them like JJ Sager, Whiteside, Denzel Mims no longer look good in my process so that's why the stat is better and also tests better because it's catching a few of those players but it's not catching all of them it's not catching JJ Sager, Whiteside would not save me from the kill Harry and Brian Edwards kind of saves you there a little bit not saves you but it it doesn't make him look like such a standout. Calvin Harmon, no, yeah, she still looks pretty good. Um, so I was really interested in the stat that I don't have access to. I can, especially someone like Scott Barrett, he tells me it matters. I can believe it matters. I can't weight it in my model, but I can use it to rank how I want to draft players. Again, that second part of the process. A model ranks players based on the best stat. I know the best way I know how to do it. And then I rank the models ranks essentially by creating tiers, and the tiers are a really important part for me pre-draft. Increasingly, that's what I'm more interested in um, than the uh, than the rankings themselves. And again, all my ranks are in the market share database, which is free and available to everyone. And all my historical ranks and dynasty ranks are available to Patreons. Um, and I've recently updated because I'm moving stuff around, updating the date that it was done, just so you know it's pre-draft. But I am taking on context, and this player has changed. Um, and my notes on each profile are in there too. Um, and Drake London's one that keeps shifting up and down based on movements from other players. But anyway, let's get... I'm just kind of talking randomly at this point. Um, so Scott Barrett's mentioned an interesting stat that I can't wait, but it is really interesting. Um, one of the ways I try to attack that, the contested catch reception percentages, whatever, um, have a high signal to identifying productive players who won't catch on in the NFL. And there's a lot of knowing about football stuff we can build in here like it's harder to play the contested catch game at the nfl when everyone's an athletic superhero but i don't do that i'm not <laughs> i'm not telling you i know more about how people translate to the nfl but that would make sense and i'm assuming a whole bunch of other narratives would make sense um it's more i can just know that and adjust for that when i'm ranking how productive players are there's a red flag that isn't from my own research like the calvin ridley rule the late breakout rule but it is relevant it does matter 
Um, and I can just, you know, know that. <laughs> um, and I have no fear, especially after all the I learned from Jake from saying, okay, this isn't stealing someone else's ranking or that process. It's accepting that someone else has a good one. Um, Zach Reed from the Dynasty Dummies, who you know I talk about constantly, like he's my beau, because he's my beau. Um, he's another person, especially Sans Jake, that I strongly respect their process on and I'll incorporate it. It's not mine, but there's no point just ignoring it because I didn't make it or because it's not in, uh, directly from something I learned from trolling data. And he's talked about Drake London also being a contested catch wide receiver, markedly different than Marcus Brown. Marcus Brown utilizes speed and separation in that he runs away from people to catch the ball, I guess, because I don't know what those words mean. Um, and Drake London uses strength. Okay, I can't wait that in. I don't really understand the full difference, although it makes sense visually, I assume. And apparently players that use strength are less likely to elevate to the NFL level. Maybe going to that narrative I just invented because it makes sense, but I have no idea if that's the reason. There's got to be some successes somewhere. Notably, Jamar Chase was not on Scott Barrett's list uh, or Zach's note, and he was someone argued to have lack of separation last year. But he didn't have a high percentage of his receptions in contested catches, apparently, because he wasn't on that list. And again, we should go read that article and just check what Scott's trying to say with that, because the article will be the thing, rather than my speculation on what he posted on Twitter, you know? But I find it really interesting. Um, anyway, so yeah, I, I, Scott's note and Zach's note tell me that there's a concern here despite the fact drake london may or may not be productive we haven't even gotten there yet the way he made it is comparable to other productive players from college that ultimately didn't work out it's not for mine but i can accept it as a red flag process on what drake london did and won't working so we're throwing around a little earlier is Drake London he ends up third in my overall model because my overall model actually rates draft um conference drafted rate which is doing some of this process again my model is trying to do as much of my process as possible so why does everyone think i hate drake london because of where i have him ranked well essentially because i ranked him lower on my model and that's what this podcast episode is meant to be about why has he fallen when he basically the only other play the only players left on this list that i didn't dismiss because obviously there's context which means they should be in a lower interesting but we're not talking about high level uh, of expectation of producing is Traylon Burks, David Bell, and then Drake London. Everyone else is Sky Moore, yeah, but I could easily see Sky Moore being below Drake London. That's not a question. I have Sky Moore below Drake London. I still love Sky Moore. It's because of that second part of the process, because this class is like one of those classes that's almost custom built to be resilient to a person who doesn't believe they know something other people don't. <laughs> who doesn't think they can see, watch, or read statistics to see the future. Uh, if you don't believe that, this class is a really hard class to separate because I have a really strong tier two and a really strong tier three. And if you tell me any one player from either of those two tiers is one of the two or three players I will get to have significant fantasy production in the NFL, I will not be surprised if it's any of my top nine receivers. Like, they're all, they all did pretty good things that compare fairly well with context to players who go on to do well in the NFL. So I won't be surprised if any of them hits. Drakeland hit third in my model, but there are concerns about the way he produced those good numbers that I think are reasonable from Scott Barrett's contested catch 
um, reception percentage, and Zach Reed just not liking the way he actually produces yards on contested catches, doing it mostly through strength rather than through speed, and that's a summarization of a very long response he sent to me, by the way, so you might want to go check out what Zach actually says about him, and also Scott, for that matter. That's not uncommon for the post-2010 era, remember. Michael Pittman was differentiating himself. I thought well enough, but I found him remarkably average. And he has players, especially one who's already gone on to do well in the NFL, on the depth chart. Amon Ross St. Brown had Drake London on the depth chart, who again, seems to be a pretty good prospect for the NFL. When Drake London had those higher stats, he was doing it with no one that we know of, and definitely no one who is distinguishing themselves as well as Amon Ross St. Brown and Michael Pittman were in 2018, both on the same team. So Gary Bryant and... Uh, Tajay Washington do not look as impressive as Amon Ra St. Brown and Michael Pittman in 2018. So the context of his production is he did well. For example, one of the things I noted is that when he was the wide receiver four on the depth chart in terms of points per game, he was actually performing at a 1.79 yards per team pass attempt, which is pretty good. It's actually really good for the wide receiver four on the depth chart. But that's not as impressive as Amon Ross St. Brown and Michael Pittman being the wide receiver um, two and three on their depth chart the year before and now producing Tyler Vaughn's in a yards per team pass attempt basis in that year. So it's impressive, but not as impressive even as players um, on the same depth chart through the same era. But again, this is both positive and it's neither positive nor negative. It's actually the context of how he performed relative to the other players on his depth chart. And I think he did really well. But that does not compare as well to what Traylon Burks did, to what David Bell did. And then when we build into the um, the affair, this evaluation, this whatever it is, the reasonable concerns, which I do think are reasonable from those like, it's not just Scott Barrett and, and Zach Reed, that his the manner in which he was producing seems to have, seems to be trickier to translate to the NFL based on the number of highly productive busts we have over the last eight-year sample or so of players who have a high percentage of the receptions that come uncontested catches failing to translate to the NFL seems to indicate that that way of playing has a harder time translating. It's not my process. It's not something I can say and just look at the numbers. This is a read. This is building in context. Does pushing Drake London down below Alave Wilson and... Uh, I rank David Bell ahead of him still because I would do that even if I wasn't adjusting for what I'm taking in from other people who are very good at this, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, he goes below David Bell. And that's how he becomes wide receiver six, by the way. Just simply accepting that other people know what they're talking about, even though his production numbers were ultimately good. The context of And the context of that situation was also relatively good. The manner in which he was producing those uh statistics that I don't know anything about, you know, how players play and how good they are at playing it from both numbers nerds and film nerds are both concerning. Um, And so I push them below players that have a more consistent role that is more um, commonly elevated to the NFL level and Chris Olave and and Zach Wilson. And I keep them below other players, um, namely David Bell and Traylon Burks, who both outproduced him, even if I wasn't taking into apart those concerns. So he gets nowhere close to the wide receiver one for me. It's the only way I can say it. The context, but his production is good, and the context in the in terms of the depth chart and the way he made those production, the ultimate numbers he put up, 
relative to where he was on those depth shots is really good. I really thought I was going to be one of the guys arguing for David Bell. But since he's in contention for the wide receiver one overall, uh, yeah, at, at the moment, I'm really low compared to market. Um, yeah, let me know what you think. Maybe Hopefully you heard some positive things about Drake London and also some sleepers and also David Bell and Sky Moore because that's the stuff that's actually more interesting to me this coming draft season. I expect Traylon Burks to be drafted highly. I expect Drake London to get really good draft capital so it almost take care of itself in terms of a ranking problem. But Sky Moore, David Bell, these are guys who could slip and be the values of this class. And that's more of what actually interests me. But I thought I'd talk it through because I get a lot of questions about it. And it seems to be one of the places that I'm drastically different than what I have seen. Um, and to the point I've been asked if I'm doing it to be dramatic. But again, read my notes. Like, I don't know who these players are as I start. And I definitely don't know what other people think about it. If I was trying to be dramatic, I couldn't have intentionally been this different from the market. Because I didn't know who Drake London freaking was. When my model ranked him, and then when I broke down the context, like I'm vaguely aware of some of the top names, that's about it. But that's definitely not the reason. I want to hit at a higher rate, not my ranks to get more engagement. I could care less. So this is honestly where he came out for me. Um, and again, this is meant to be really strong, and I expect his draft capital is going to essentially solve this problem for me. But we shall see. Kelvin Harmon also happened. Um, or didn't happen, as it were. Okay, let me know what you think. Um, hopefully this one was interesting to you, like all of them somewhat. And uh, I'll see you again in the next one. But i got to start talking about this because I have fa- continued to fail to get it below 30 minutes. And at this point, it's late and I need to go to bed and move on. Yeah! Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play it unfold, so... Jake on the table and Nate on the place, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight. Back and forth, there is no order, they disorder more and more. Because the players ain't no older, they some hoarders or some mortars. Dropping bombs without no borders, they got that eye like mortar. Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds. So, Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds. So, Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical.